are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. How many of you guys are control freaks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be honest. It's okay. This is a safe area. We're all control freaks. Controlling yourself, it can be pretty difficult. Maintain control over someone or something is pretty much the constant challenges that we face throughout our lives. I mean, if, if anyone's ever been anywhere, really, have you ever seen, like, that mom who's trying to control the two, three, four sets of hands from touching everything? Right? Especially if you go to, like, an antique store and oh, it just looks amazing, that 500-year-old vase or whatever, you just want to pull it down. And the mom is doing everything she can to, to do that. Well, there's... As hard as that is to control that, there's something actually more challenging than that. Or maybe you're in a position of authority, and so, and you're a leader, and so you have to manage people. There's people beneath you, and your promotion depends on the success of others below you and how well they perform. I mean, that's pretty nerve-wracking as well. You know, for me, I got a couple pastoral interns, Joe and Jesse, and, and you know, rarely, but if they ever kind of mess up, you know who gets the blame? Me, right? But at the same time, they do more good than bad. So when they get praised, I, you know, I get it, right? Which is, which is great too. But it's stressful. But there's still something more challenging than that. Or maybe you're, trying, you're someone who's trying to figure out how to juggle your work life and your church life and your family life. And it's just difficult because, as we all know, work life is just always unpredictable. I had a friend, actually, who had a, seemed like he was an engineer, good job, but he got laid off. Or maybe church life for you guys. There's always a need here in ministry. You want to help, but your, your hands are kind of tied. And maybe your family life is in chaos right now. Perhaps a child of yours is, is, uh, won't listen or a spouse. You have a spouse who just doesn't communicate. Maybe you're in a financial bind. These are, these, these are all highly difficult scenarios. But there's still something more challenging than all that. Trying to maintain control of the things and people in our lives, it's difficult because life is ultimately unpredictable. You know, also as a youth pastor, when I speak with young students who are about to enter into college, I ask them, so what are your goals and plans? And they say just so confidently, so matter-of-fact, little Pastor David, I'm going to major in this, I'm going to graduate in four years, and then I'm going to intern here, and I'm going to send out just one resume, and I'm going to get into that company. And I'm going to make enough money to buy a, a, a condo, a two, three-bedroom condo in downtown D.C., Georgetown perhaps, before I turn 25. And then I'll get married in a couple years around the age of 27. And you know what? Maybe I'll have at least one kid before the age of 30. And then on it goes. And I can't bash them for that dream because it sounds amazing. Right? In fact, I've dreamt that too. It's a great plan. And so there's really two types of people. The one who just said what I said before, and the other one, when I ask, what's your plan? They go, I don't know. But the first type of people, the ones who have a plan, they have this idea that they can control the outcomes of their lives. And the truth is, they can't. We can't. We can try, and we should try, by the way. Like, I'm not advocating that we just, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be throughout our lives. No, but I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that in your life, that God alone holds our future in his hands. We just have to admit that. We can't control it. 
Therefore, when we face certain holdbacks in our lives, we need to say, as, as some people say, let go and let God. You've heard that saying before, haven't you? Meaning this, trust in him. Trust in the one who knows. Trust in the one who's actually wiser than you. Trust in the one who wants better for you more than you could possibly want for yourself. But that's hard. It's hard to let go and let God because, again, we're all control freaks. And we all want to control every aspect of our lives. And so we read 10 steps to become a better you. 10 steps to become a better husband, to become a better wife, to become a better student. We try everything we can to do more and be more so we can determine the outcome. But again, we can't. And what's more is that we try doing this even in our walk with God. Can you believe that? There's that condemning message that so many people Millions and millions of people around the world have grown to love. And that's the prosperity gospel. The health and wealth gospel. Or maybe you've heard another way, the name it, claim it gospel. And what that false gospel teaches is that we can manipulate and control God. Think about that. That if we give enough, that if we do enough, that if we're good enough, that somehow God in his infinite wisdom is now somehow obligated to obey our every beck and call. God, because I gave you a thousand bucks in offering last month, you now owe me $2,000 this month. God's like, oh man, I totally needed that thousand dollars last month for sure. I'll definitely pay you back with interest. That's ridiculous. This, con this is a concept in those false churches. It's called seed money. That if I plant a few dollars here, even in the midst of my struggles, I will trust that you will give me much more later on. In other words, you're banking at the bank of heaven, and you're just expecting your return. So that those false gospel teachers, people like Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes, or there's this pastor named, he's one of the most famous pastors. His name is Creeflo Dollar. That's a great name, right? Or people like Joyce Meyer or Joseph Prince or Kenneth Copeland, many, many more. They say all this, the same message, you can subdue God. And you can use, get that, use the Holy Spirit to your advantage. I mean, forget about the songs that we sing where we say, Lord, I give you my all in all. It's, it's more like for them, they sing, God, you better give me your all in all. Or instead of, God, I want you to be my one desire, we're saying, God, I better be your one desire. Or, God, I am faithful, so you better be faithful and give me back my money and then some. Brothers and sisters, do you know why we give? Because we're saying, God, simply put, I trust you. I trust that you are faithful, and this is simply my offering to you is an act of worship to you. I don't expect anything back, for you have already given me the greatest gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I am more satisfied in you than I can ever be in, ever, in even winning the lottery. I may not have all I want. I may not have a chateau or a Lamborghini or I may not have the best, live in the best zip code or whatever, but Lord, you have provided for my every need. This tithing, this 10%, this offering that I give to you is nothing compared to all that you've already blessed me with for all I have is yours. 
You see, money, fame, success, pleasures, they're all fine and dandy. But Lord, I give to you and I worship you for one singular purpose alone, and that's to get more of you in my life. Not more, not more of what you can give, but more of you in my life. Jesus, you are all I need. Is that your prayer? Is that how you worship? Is that how you give? That's why we sing that song every single Sunday. All I have is yours. You are all I need. You are all I need. But the false gospel says, Jesus, you are the means to what I really want. If I trust in you, Jesus, and my marriage better turn out right because I value my marriage more than I value you. If I, if I trust in you, Jesus, then I better have an easy, cush life because I value comfort more than I value you. If I trust in you, Jesus, then I better get that job because I value security and money more than I value you. So even in our worship and in our prayer and in our QT, we sometimes do it because we think we can control God by forcing him to give back something we feel we're owed. You get that? God, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation the entire year. So where's my job promotion? God, I went to early morning service for 21 days. Why didn't I get into that program or that college? You see, this whole idea of control is rampant even within our Christian culture. But again, there's something far more challenging than that. And that challenge is the challenge that we've read today. And this is it. We have to control our tongues. Because it's from that tongue of ours that spews out all sorts of wickedness, including things like I mentioned above, like the prosperity gospel. And so that's the subject of our text today, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is the perfect man. And so here's our first point. Mature Christians control their tongue. Say it to one another. Mature Christians control their tongue. The other day, uh, my wife, she was at work, so I had a little daddy-daughter date. Yes, cute. And living in Falls Church, we decided to go somewhere nearby, around seven corners, and so we stopped by Cafe Rio for lunch, and it was just downpour yesterday. It was just raining. And so as Ada was stuffing her face with some chicken quesadilla, all of a sudden she stopped, looked down to the rain, and began belting out from the top of her lungs, Rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. And then she'd stop, and people would stare. And my face would get all red, and she'd eat a little bit more. And then she'd drink some more water, presumably to clear her throat again for the next rendition. And sure enough, she belts out again, rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. And so I quickly stuffed my face with my infant-sized burrito as fast as I could. And then I just, I just get out of there as quick as I could with my daughter. And so we head out to the next door, which is a PetSmart. And apparently every Saturday they bring out the dogs or puppies from like shelters or whatever to try to sell them there or get them adopted. And so we enter that store, and the moment Ada sees them, she starts screaming for joy, Doggy! Doggy! And, it's, and she was screaming so loudly that it scared the puppies so much that all the puppies there start shaking. So much that the caretakers had to lift him up and, and try to soothe the puppy. Say, it's okay. <laughs> but my daughter was saying, daddy, doggy, doggy, daddy. Fearing that she might pee through her pants, 
from all the excitement, we made our way next door to Target. I put her in the cart, and we were just walking around. And she was calm. She was just people watching. But the moment we passed by the toy section, and she saw the frozen movie toys, she, and she saw this life-size Elsa and Anna doll. They're frightening. They're like five feet tall. And she would say, let it go, let it go. And then we quickly pass by. And we go to the car and truck aisle. And like Daddy, she's becoming quite the gearhead. All of a sudden, she starts belting out, bus! The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. And people were just laughing. They're giggling. And I, I mean, at that point, I was just so tired. I wasn't embarrassed. But then again, I would never go around screaming from the top of my lungs of random things I see. Look. Without help, kids will embarrass everyone but themselves by blurting out the most random, sometimes inappropriate things at the most inappropriate times to the most inappropriate people. A characteristic of immaturity is the inability to control one tongue, one's tongue, saying whatever you feel like saying, whenever you feel like saying it, to whomever you want to say it to. Now, reason, here's the thing. We let kids do that because they're kids. Right? Everyone knows kids are immature. They're not all emotionally and socially and cognitively developed. But when adults say whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want, we tend to stay away from people like them because they're a walking nuisance. Because we know not to deal with such immaturity. Now here's the thing. James, he's not, he's not trying to teach us some etiquette course on how to sip some tea and how to have a social dialogue. We're not just reading a social problem here. The issue that James is addressing with the fact that we're messing up with the words and things that we say is not a social issue. It is not an emotional issue. It's not the fact that you are whatever. No, here's the main issue. He's saying it is a spiritual one. Your words that you say is a spiritual issue. And so the question remains, how far along are you in the practice of the grace of God? In other words, if you've been a Christian for, let's say, some umpteenth years, but you're still displaying a lack of control in word, it's not just because you like being sarcastic or you enjoy gossiping about the latest trends. Rather, it's because it's a spiritual issue. Let me ask you this. How have you been progressing in your walk with the Lord? I'm not saying everyone needs to be like Billy Graham by the age of 30, but there needs to be progression, and one of the ways to see it is in the way that you speak. How do you speak? Mature Christians control their tongues. You get that? We need to understand that your love for perhaps biting sarcasm or discouraging words is not just a phase. Don't think that. No, it's a spiritual problem. It's not you being quick-witted. No, it's you being quick-tempered. It's not being clever or wordy. It's being impulsive and prideful. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how great you may be spiritually in other areas of your life, if you can't respond in a way that is holy, edifying, loving, then there really needs to be some deep evaluation and repentance going on in your life. Mature Christians control their tongue. Now, when Jesus died for you and me, it wasn't just to change our speech. It wasn't just to 
modify our behaviors. Jesus didn't die so that you quit smoking or quit looking at pornography or stop being lazy or quit saying the F-bomb. Jesus didn't get nailed on the cross so that you become a better, more socially acceptable person. He died for us because the sins in our lives rendered us dead. We may be physically alive. We can dance, we can sing, we can walk around, but we are all spiritually dead, meaning that once our physical bodies quit on us 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now, Christ, Christ has come to resurrect us. And because our physical bodies may be alive, our spiritual lives, our spirits were dead. And God would not accept it. Do you see the magnitude of what Christ had to do for us? That he had to come to give us life. He came to change our deadness to life so that those who believe in what he has done and who he is will now be saved. So, though, so therefore, those who accept Christ, we become transformed. Yes, we still look the way we do on the outside, but we are renewed from the inside out. Inside out means because we're transformed in our spirit, we will then produce what a spirit that is alive will and can only produce, the fruit of the spirit. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit, Matthew 7, 17. But much like everything else, it's a progression. Brothers and sisters, when you become a Christian, you don't automatically become perfect from the moment that you accept him. Rather, we are made right instantly before God, sure. But for the years to come, our journey will consist of trials and tests, both good times and bad times. But ultimately, a marathon of perseverance where we will grow stronger more mature, and ultimately more Christ-like. Are you progressing? Are you growing in faith? So the question isn't, why aren't you perfect? But rather, are you growing towards perfection in spiritual maturity? And in this case, the way you speak. Now, I don't want you guys to feel condemned for swearing if someone cuts you off on the road. But know that in Christ, you who are set free by his death and resurrection, though we can't control our circumstances, we can certainly control how we respond to those circumstances because the spiritually mature control their tongues. And our second point is this, that by controlling our tongues, we are actually controlling ourselves. Now let's make this clear. Controlling our tongues will not control everything else in life. It will not magically control us from getting fired. It will not control all the external circumstances of life. It will, however, allow us to control ourselves. James gives a couple of illustrations. First, the horse. You've seen horses before. They're huge, unless you're talking about like those really small, really weird-looking ones. But they're huge. Like the Clydesdale horses are massive, absolute giants. And yet, I have personally seen a little boy with the reins in his little hands, lead a massive horse into the barn to the feed. How can that be? Because of the bit in the horse's mouth, it controls that massive beast. Or how about a ship? James, he's never seen the cruise liners that we have here, or those battleships, those destroyers that I've seen so many times down in Norfolk and, and Virginia Beach. They had large ships there then too, true, but they were all controlled by the small little rudder. And that rudder would determine where the ship will go. Now, now, let's think about this from a less obvious perspective. Why would the horse need to be controlled? Because without the bit in its mouth, it would remain wild and untamed. 
One commentary wrote, and I quote, We ask ourselves how we are to control the powerful forces within us that drive us into sin. And James replies by talking about something we never even considered. Do we control our tongues? End quote. Think of it this way. How many fights, assaults, murders began with an exchange of uncontrolled words? Or what immoral sexual relationship began with suggestive or seductive words, even if it was at first playful and in jest? Or what shady deal that cheated and stole from people didn't begin with words of deceit? You know, look, we need to control our tongue because by doing so, we control ourselves. This is oftentimes when, where the battles fought, won or lost, before we even start thinking of sinful things, it begins with a word. How many times have you told yourself or even thought of it, yeah, I'll be okay. Yeah, no harm will be done. No one will find out. If you think about the ship, it says in verse 4, it's driven by strong winds. This goes to show that it's not just an internal struggle but, that we face, but our problem also lies in external circumstances. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, friends. People in your life, they will attack you, even though you are the best, most upstanding citizen. You could be the best son and the best daughter. You could be the best church member, the best employer or employee, and you'll still get attacked by careless words from other people. You will still get attacked. You will still be misunderstood. You will still be axed in so many ways. Proverbs 14.3 says, A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protects them. Or how about chapter 21, verse 23? He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Let me ask you this, friends. Do you find yourself, do you find your tongue leading you astray? Do you find that your words bring healing or wounds to those around you? Are you known for your harsh, critical speech or encouraging truth and grace-filled words? When you speak with the fellow body members of this church, are you edifying it, lifting one another up, or are you bringing division? Let me ask you, how are you in your, even in your homes? <clears throat> you know, I've heard so many pastors' kids, PKs, who are just so against ministry, having grown up especially with first-generation parents. So much would happen because in front of the pews, in front of the audience, you would hear these, their fathers saying all wonderful, glorious, grace-filled words. And the moment their doors shut at their homes and in their privacy, the father goes berserk, screaming, yelling, being unjust, beating, abusive, verbally, emotionally, physically, whatever, all that. And the son and the children are thinking, you hypocrite. You say such peaceful and loving, comforting words to the members, and yet you leave poison for us, your children. How are you in your homes, brothers and sisters? Are you encouraging your parents? Are you lifting up your spouse? Are you lifting up your children? What about your workplace? Are you speaking words of integrity or deceit? You know what it says in the Bible? It says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. That's 2 Peter 2.22. Or how about Luke 11.53? The Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions waiting to catch him in something he might say. That's Jesus. The one who is the perfect, complete, mature son of God and is by his sacrifice on the cross that has allowed us to live no longer controlled by our inner struggles like that horse or by our external circumstances like that ship. But in Christ, we are able to overcome and respond to all that life throws at us with words and responses that truly demonstrate the truth, the fact that Christ lives in me. And so today, I end with this. I wish to challenge and encourage you all to be mindful of the things you say. How you say and why you say. There's this cute little acrostic. It's called think. T, is it truthful? H, is it helpful? I, weirdly, there's no I. Fill it with whatever you want. Are you impetuous? I don't know. N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Think, or T-H-N-K, before you speak. Remember, this is beyond just changing your speech just to give off an appearance of change. Ask yourself this. If you know that you're dealing with that in your life, ask yourself, why do I constantly feel the need to say such hurtful and damaging words to people? Ask yourself. And here's the thing. If you really want truth, because we tend to lie to ourselves a lot, don't we? Ask someone that you truly trust and know. If you're married, ask your spouse and say, I won't hold anything against you. Honestly, do I say encouraging words or do I say destructive words? And your spouse will say, you, you can't hold this against me? Or go to your siblings. Or go to your best, don't go to your best friend, they'll lie to your face. It's not a behavioral issue. This is what James is saying here, okay? This is not a motivational speech for you to become a better you. To just say more positive, name it, claim it words. If you say good things, then good things will happen to you. None of that. No, that's not what I'm saying here. This is not a behavioral issue. James is saying it is a spiritual one. God is calling for us to repent and repent of the broken words that we have so often spoken to others and to ourselves. And instead, he says, seek healing from God, from the word of God who is Christ. We know what Christ has come to do. He has come to restore and redeem. If you want to be healed from the brokenness that you say, that you spew out, and also the brokenness that you have so, for so many years received from perhaps a significant person in your life and that's damaged you so much, Christ says, come before me and seek my healing. For he is alone the word. He alone is the word. He alone is the truth. And those chains that have bound you for so many years, Christ says, the truth, i.e. me, I'll set you free. He will set you free. Be careful what you say to one another. But if you are also a victim of harsh, critical, abusive words from someone in your past or perhaps someone even in your present, the Lord says, come to me. 
Do not discard it. Do not sweep it under the rug. Come and receive healing. And you will actually hear the most truest of words you will ever hear in your life. Let's pray. As the praise man comes up to the stage to lead us in our final song, I think what I've said is enough. I believe the Lord has spoken and he is stirring in your hearts and you know exactly what you need to pray for, what you need to pray about. And I don't want to confuse you anymore. So let me offer up just a small little prayer to lead us into this time of individual prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you are everything and so much more of all that we could ever want or need in our lives. That it is you that not only saves, but you bring healing. It is you, Christ Jesus, who justifies us. It is you, Holy Spirit, who sanctifies us. Though we may have accepted you as our Lord and Savior many years ago, or maybe recently, Father, I pray that you help us understand that it is not a call for immediate perfection. No, that day will come when we see you face to face after this life. But until then, Lord, you are challenging us and calling us to live in obedience to your words against the ways of the world. to keep struggling and keep fighting and keep being challenged and to progress and to grow and to be sanctified and refined even when it hurts and Lord it will hurt and if that means for us to be humble and lay down our pride and quit saying the things that we have been saying to one another God I pray that would happen So, Lord, I pray, would you convict all these hearts today? And no one here is blameless, not even me, not by long shot. And I pray, Lord, that every person here would humble themselves and, Lord, recognize the violence and poisonous things that we have said to people, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And God, that you would forgive us. That we would know it's not just about quitting those words, but it's about recognizing Christ Jesus because of your death and resurrection. We are a new creation. Those words, those critical words, those harsh, abusive, violent, untrue, false, deceptive words, they are not of you. Your words are good. Your words are true. Your words are positive. Your words lift up, not bring down. And so, Lord, would you replace that in our hearts? And for those of you, brothers and sisters, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day where by accepting his amazing proposal, his amazing gift of salvation, you will be new, forever new. Again, Lord, we lift up this day, this event, this service, and this message up to you. Would you lead us now in our prayer and our thoughts? Let's pray.